Well, um, hello there, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My conservative viewers really love that one. My name is Clifton Duncan. This is my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for yet another fascinating conversation living at the nexus of art, entertainment, culture, and society. My friends, there is an entire media complex built around glamorizing the lifestyles of the rich and famous, and it seems there's a never-ending stream of hopefuls yearning for fame and fortune. At the same time, in our era, uh, rates of drug use, depression, anxiety, and self-harm, shall we say, are at all-time highs, and many of the stars that are presented as idols are struggling with demons themselves, sometimes with tragic results. Worse, in a time where Americans are ailing in so many ways, our faith in science and the medical establishment has been perhaps irreparably shaken. So why are so many drawn to fortune and fame? Why do those who possess both seem to be among the most unhappy? How can we get and stay healthy and positive in an era where cynicism and skepticism, including of our medical apparatus, is the norm and at times seems the most logical option? Well, few are more uniquely qualified to investigate and explore these questions than today's wonderful guest. But first, however you're consuming this podcast, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you prefer to scratch your CDP itch, make sure to leave a like, a comment, or a review if you're nasty. If you're watching on YouTube, I would deeply appreciate you if you subscribed. And as always, you can help this podcast and this community grow by sharing this show as much as possible. If you love it, share it with your friends. And if you hate it, why then share it with your enemies. You can also find me on Rumble, where I put exclusive and sometimes spicy content you can't find anywhere else, so be sure to sign up there and support me on Locals while you're at it. The links will be in the show notes. Lastly, I'm a one-man operation. I uh, prefer not being a starving artist, so a big thank you to my supporters at Locals, to my paid subscribers, to my newsletter, The State of the Arts, and to the generous souls who donate via PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App. Thank you so much. It helps to keep me pushing to bring you conversations that you love. Now, without further ado, my guest today is a practicing physician uh, who is jacked and is board certified, <laughs> is board certified in internal and addiction medicine. He was a jock and class president in high school. Uh, he went to earn. He went on to earn a BS in biology from Amherst College, an MD from the University of Southern California School of Medicine. He hosted the popular MTV show Love Line from 1984 to 2016. And on top of his private medical practice, his duties as a husband and father, he is a rather prolific content creator, if we can uh, use such a term, hosting shows such as Ask Dr. Drew, Dr. Drew After Dark, and the Dr. Drew Podcast, among others. Friends, if you have not guessed by now, my guest is the one and only Dr. Drew Penske. Welcome, Dr. Drew. Thank How you so much for joining me. My privilege. And how could they possibly have guessed? I want to I, I want to gush and pile on uh, to get support for you because I have so much admiration for you. I don't know if you if I've been I think I've been clear about this, but I, it stays with me that uh, a you as a decorated performer as one of the most <laughs> clearly one of the a standout professional. The way you were treated by the profession and that you've been walking the walk, and now you have doing this i am just i just have so much admiration for you so support this dude i forget this podcast don't worry about me support clifton duncan i am i cannot say that strongly enough because uh, you're 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 you have integrity something that's not not always present these days and i worry that all that talent that you've got is is not being deployed as much as it should be are you, are you doing any performing these days um, well, no. Well, firstly, let, let me say thank you very much. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because um, you know th there's been some very very dark days. Uh, you know, there are a lot Ugh. of bitterness Ugh. and depression and resentment. Disgusting. How... It it bothers me the hell out of me that that you had to go through that. It, well, it really does. Well, you know, but but here's here's the thing. I actually now I feel better than I have in quite a long time. For one, um, you know, it, it's really focused. It's really. Um, it forced me to focus on other aspects of my life for one yeah, that, that, I get that it. needed help. Um, I get it. But secondly, like my my network now and my 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 circle of of people is so uh, it's so much more diverse, so much uh, more interesting, and frankly, so much freaking smarter than mm -hmm. uh, than what it was before. So it's forcing me to level up in so many ways that I haven't Good. before. And the, the last thing I would say is that, you know, it, it's it's really stunning to me. And um, and this is one one of the reasons I really want to talk to you, because, you know, you've you're you know, you're out in L.A., you've been out there in, in, in that system for a long time. But it's so strange to me that um, you, like there's these stories that keep coming out now, like just the other day. 
um, there was a story about the, the Seattle uh, Symphony Orchestra, whatever it is. And mm -hmm. it was like, you know, there was this big grand opening. Apparently it's a very impressive show, but n like almost no one showed up. You know what I mean? Like it, oh, it, was, wow. just, it was, it was very poorly attended. Yeah. And there's all this confusion as to why these arts institutions, whether it be live theater or, you know, the, the symphony orchestra or, um, or opera are failing right now. And the common denominator is that each and every one of these institutions uh, impose the same kinds of mandates and restrictions mm. um, that they that the theater did. And now they find themselves struggling. Meanwhile, sports and other forms of live entertainment are not struggling. And, and in some ways, they're thriving. Mm. So for me, it's just, you know, why, why was it that I have been, you know, sort of the one person, one of the few people, you know, you can count on one hand and still have fingers left over of the people who were like, hey, guys, the arts are important. These institutions are important. We shouldn't be closing them down. And, um, you know, no one's been defending them. And so in my mind, it's like, well, maybe maybe it's not so bad being sort of purged from uh, a, a sort of milieu that didn't really value itself enough to protect itself um, like mm. these other these other uh, places have. You know what I mean? Well, I have a bunch of thoughts. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm sure your audience presently, in addition to being smarter, is incredibly enthusiastic for you. But whoever your audience is, he needs more. It can't possibly be enough. So, so I'm just saying, I, I, I am an enthusiast too for your for everything you're doing, and just just everyone help him build this. That's all I'm saying. It needs to be all more. Right. All right. Well, number well, two, the the sports. You got to remember, sports are outside. And so they had an edge a little bit uh, in that they, they, when the craziness sort of settled, they very quickly abandoned all the nonsense. And uh, you couldn't defend, you know, wearing a mask outside. It just is absurd. It's just ridiculous. There's, you know, there've been two cases of documented transmission of COVID out of doors in the world since the pandemic began. In the world. So the the outdoor venues, I think, had an edge. But the counter, just just really quickly, yeah. basketball, mixed martial arts, and professional wrestling are all typically held indoors. That's true. And, um, That's they're true. all doing well themselves. That's true. I was thinking about football mostly and soccer, right. that kind of thing. But 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 let's go down, drill now into the the, the theatrical arts and, and performing and whatnot, which is a part of me just goes. You, you deserve it. I'm not part of it because you guys deserve you deserve it. But at the same time, as I say that, I, I like I like want them to be squeezed until they admit of their excesses, and then I want to support the hell out of them. <laughs> but I'm afraid that that either if you squeeze them, it'll be too late, uh, and they'll never come around anyway. They, they're they're recalcitrant in terms of their point of view. Well, you know, I'm working on a, um, I've been working on this essay right now about it because the, 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 the problems run deeper than uh, just the past few years. It's, it's a very yeah. deep cultural issue. And, oh, uh, really? you know, but, but, you know, enough I want to read it. I can't wait to read that. Well, because, I, I because can't most wait to of us We aren't aware, but there's a cultural issue in the audience too, though, right? Because many of these um, sort of artistic endeavors, you have to, you have to, you need education in order to appreciate them properly, right? I, I for instance, uh, I was a singer early in my life, and uh, I, my mom was an opera singer, and I had zero interest in a disdain, if anything. And when I started singing, I very quickly got bored with certain, you know, canon, and went, I, I had to try this other stuff, and became enraptured with it. And really, as I began to look at it and understand the music and appreciate the history. And I, I became an enthusiast. You, you, it's in a, it, you have to have an, an access point for, for the arts and music and particularly the classical arts and music. And we're just not teaching anybody in this country anyway. Well, see, I think you've hit on, you've hit it. There's, there's, you know, there's a dearth. And again, this is why these mandates at places like museums and Carnegie Hall, for instance, were uh, so injurious. And they, they don't, they may not even see as much damage now, but generation, you know, generations from now, they will see it. Yeah. They, they yeah. failed in, in terms of, in, you know, the possibility of introducing people who most need to see this stuff yeah. Um, yeah. to the arts. But I, but I'll counter by saying that, um, sure, you know, maybe being able to, 
appreciate the finer aspects of these of these uh, forms, um, you know, might be necessary. Some some type some type of cultivation. At the same time, you don't need education to know how something makes you feel. Correct. And the the that's what I feel like has been missing from a lot of these institutions. I feel like uh, I, I interviewed um, or I was interviewed by someone who. Uh, um, coined a great, a great phrase. I, I've been calling it the blue bourgeoisie, but he called it, he, huh. conf, he alighted it and called it the bourgeoisie. And I think that's, uh. that's, that's what's going on now is that these uh. institutions now, like sp specifically in theater, like you have all these, um, you know, BFA and MFA programs right now, which are pumping out year after year, all these actors, designers, directors, writers, so on and so forth. They go on to become producers and casting agents and yada, yada, yada. And, um, you know, so there's this sort of, um, uh, I, I guess mill, you know, this industry mill that's been built around, yeah. like, it, you know, yeah. I, I don't know if it was the same back in the fifties and sixties and seventies, like maybe there was more of a working class milieu that was oh, listen, entering I, these I, When my kids were getting in, you know, going into college in 2011 and I heard about schools that were offering degrees in musical theater, I was <laughs> astonished. I was like, what? That's something you sort of, did you didn't get degrees in it that was your you get your degree in music or history or something and you did theater you don't get degrees in theater and that's to your point they they just you know there's many different ways this stuff continues to mill out kids that I don't know what they're going to do, frankly, as well, this shrinks. Well, I'm definitely one of those people who um, people make fun of for taking out exorbitant loans. But the thing is, then you think about this is why I say it's a deeper cultural problem, because then, you know, when you go through these four years of university, well, huh. what's happening in the university system right now? Yeah. You know, it's a big, big issue in terms of indoctrination and bias yep. and these sorts of things and yep. a very closed mindedness. So these are the kinds of people now that are being flooded into the industry and um, i think we're seeing we're beginning to see the results of of all of that no i, um, I want to quickly i just want to say that i was listening to uh greg lukianoff lukianoff on mm -hmm. uh, lex friedman's podcast and he was pointing out that we all looked in horror at the 1950s and the excesses of the mccarthy area and how you know laws had to be put in place because 100 professors lost their job because they were accused of certain proclivities and there's actually a law to protect them that has been since uh, completely undermined. And thus far in the current cancel environment, over 200 professors have lost their jobs because of accusations of nonsense. And, and that is accelerating. And yet nobody seems to be paying any attention to the fact that we're doing the same thing for a different purpose. Well, I think the reason is that um, the people who are being uh, canceled, so to speak, by these what I call neo-McCarthyists, um, they are on the quote-unquote wrong side of history. They simply have the wrong ideas, the wrong ideologies. So those who are doing the canceling feel like they're justified in doing it. There's a moral righteousness behind it. That's and, what the McCarthy guys were. Well, That's exactly go. who they were. That's uh, people, people look through history as though they sit in judgment of, no, there were people that thought they were protecting the country from this problem that was spreading across Europe and it was going to take over in the United States. They had an obligation to protect the country. And they went nutso and did some horrible things on people, upon people's civil liberties. Hmm, sounds familiar. If you're a fan of the Clifton Duncan podcast, you'll love my new newsletter called The State of the Arts. Sign up for free for weekly articles as well as the latest information on my upcoming projects, shows, events, and appearances. And for just $5 a month, you can hear me bring my articles to life in my velvety baritone voice. Join the growing heterodox arts movement and subscribe to The State of the Arts today at cliftonduncan.substack.com. Yeah, well, yeah. T tell me about it. <laughs> uh, so, shifting gears a little bit. Enough about uh, about me and the arts. I, I want to talk All about right. uh, you, since I am uh, I'm talking to you. Okay. Um, okay. When when did you decide to become a a healer? So you you heard a little bit that I was sort of dabbling in music and things like that. Right. I, I always my dad was a physician. And I always thought I'd be a physician, and I went off to college. And first semester, I did very well, but. I just thought I, I can't do this. I can't do this for four years. Too much for me. I just I just can't. I got depressed. I got really depressed. I actually left college and I screwed around for about a year and could not figure out what what direction. I was got increasingly unhappy. I was doing theater and music and things like that to try to I don't know scratch some itch that I had at the time. 
And uh, it wasn't until one day I thought to myself, maybe that science thing is what I'm supposed to be doing. And some, a, a thought that I wouldn't allow myself up to that point, interestingly. And as soon as I thought that, I started feeling better. I thought, oh, I, I have to go that direction. And I had to get my act together. Uh, I had to hit the ground running. I had to go to school full time. And I didn't actually expect to get into medical school first time around, but I did. And um, just loved it. I loved medical training. I loved the science. Interesting, that one, one of the thoughts I have in retrospect is I just don't think the male brain is ready oftentimes to do that level of work that was required of me at, at you know, I was 17 when I went to college. And at 20, whatever I was, 19, 20, when I went back to it, it I was ready. I, it, I could just do it and I couldn't do it before. And uh and so by the time I got to medical school, I just, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. I, I thought it was such important work and uh, became a severe workaholic for about 25 years and uh, saw medicine through two, well, through three different um, disciplines, worked in a psychiatric hospital. I became sort of uh, an expert in the medical care of psychiatric patients and then ended up working there, taking over their addiction services and doing that for 20 years. All alongside of that, I was doing outpatient general medicine, inpatient general medicine. And it was back in the day when uh, a general internist could do ICU work. And I was doing lots of intensive care at the same time in, in the hospital setting. And uh, so I saw everything. I got to see the human experience, you know, in a way that nobody actually gets to now. You actually can't do what I did. You literally can't. You have to either be a hospitalist or you have to work in a psychiatric hospital or you have to be an outpatient doctor. You can't do all of it. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for that experience. And I'm now sort of just trying to give it back as best I can. So what I hear and what I find this fascinating, um, not only were you a jock, but you were an actor and a singer and a science nerd. It's like, how how on earth uh, did, did a creature like you? I, I, I think, yeah, I think it is uh, a function. I was in a small private school where you could be all these things, you know, and they sort of encouraged to do that. And so I, the reality is I was a science nerd. <laughs> That's the reality. Had I been in a bigger, in a bigger pond, I wouldn't have been able to do all those things that I've screwed around with. Okay. Well then my, my follow-up to that is I find it interesting because you, it sounds like you're talking about now we're sort of in this era of specialization Yeah. and, and you mentioned, you know, getting a broad spectrum of the human experience, because if you're studying arts, you're doing theater, you know, you're, yeah, yeah. you're, you're accessing that sort of, you know, knowledge from, from one perspective. But then if you're studying, if you're doing sports, you got to, you, you know, you're experiencing it from another direction, but then you're doing yeah. medicine and experiencing and experiencing it from uh, yet a third direction. And so it seems to me that, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of uniquely placed uh, in, in terms of um, huh. being able to have a broad spectrum of of humanity and uh, and sort of what makes it tick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to, a, you know, you mentioned that I went to Amherst College and it's a liberal arts school. And so I've been reading history and philosophy ever since. They, they train you to to keep learning and to never stop and to never be satisfied. And so that got under my skin. I, in fact, my career and all the weird things I've done. I blame on the college because you just, you just, you explore, you try things, you just, you know, you want to do things. And, uh, and I never thought about what you just said that the, the arts and the, and the athletics gave me another sort of dimension, which I'd never really thought about, but yeah, it does. And then we used to call, I remember this, there used to be a term for this. He used to call it a Renaissance person, a Renaissance right. man. And uh, it's not something that's valued anymore. I haven't heard that term in 30 years. Uh, probably because we have become so technical, we've become so narrow in our focus in terms of what we pursue in our careers. And that's a shame. I listen, liberal arts education generally has been disparaged. And what I always say is, no, no, no. Yes, liberal arts education doesn't get you very far because, you, you know, what are you going to do after that? I understand that criticism. But quality liberal arts education good liberal arts education, I mean really good, where you learn to read, write, think, do math, apply to science, you do all those things, you'll figure out a career path. You'll figure out what to do. You'll go and just, you'll do more training in some other discipline. So I, I'm a big fan of, of the liberal arts, so-called. So 
Well, it's interesting, you know, and we were talking before about, you know, my, my network now, it's, it's, it's funny because I specialized in, in one field and I think mm -hmm. to my detriment, and now I'm at a place where, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stick to this, these disciplines of like, okay, I'm going to read about this on this day, read about that on this day, because, yeah. you know, there's, and, and really my, my former uh, teacher is a woman named Zelda Fitchandler, who's a brilliant, brilliant person, but, you know, she right. talked about how curiosity is, oh, yeah. and empathy are two of the cornerstones oh, of the craft yeah. of the craft of acting and um, of everything I, that's just just uh, being a good human and, and, and sort of engaging in the world. Well, well, she also said that the lives that we lead and the work that we do as artists are not two separate things. They're integrated. Mm -hmm. And I, I think maybe today we try too much to compartmentalize everything, you know, mm -hmm. we, and, and specialize everything. And it's like, no, it's, life is so much more exciting. It's so much more rich when yeah. you're, you're, you're looking at this and looking at that. And maybe it can seem overwhelming, but at the same time, it's just like there's so much to learn and you can't ever yeah. learn all of it enough. Can't, can you? Yeah. There's just, no. there, you, you don't know anything. That's, that's the more, that's what I learned. The more I read, the more I'm like, man, I don't know shit. I don't know nothing. Yeah, it's what Einstein said. Einstein said that the more he figured out, the more he realized there's more to know. You can't, you can't know. But yes, it's absolutely true. But, but I saw that in you when I first met you. I don't remember how I, maybe I saw you on Twitter or something. I'm like, oh, I got to talk to this guy. And because not just, because you're a thinker, you're thinking about things and, and you're expanding that all the time by learning. And you, you're thinking about the present moment going, hey, there's something wrong. <laughs> you know, because you're you're thinking, you're out, you're thinking about what's what's happening here, and you're you're just you're just looking. Or this this can't be right. Well, it's not, but it's not just thinking though. It's uh, first, I appreciate that, and, and I joke that uh, you know, if, if we're relying on actors to be our thinkers, then we're in serious trouble. But <laughs> the but the but my thing is that you know, it was also a very you know sort of bleeding heart feeling thing as well because mm. what, what we were being asked to do. Uh, and I said this to you when I was on your show, what we're, what we're being asked to do to, to stem the spread of this virus is antithetical to everything that makes being alive valuable and, yeah. and rich and, and, right. and, and fulfilling. That's and, right. um, you know, whether it's the enjoyment of the arts or meeting with your friends at the pub or, you know, or, you know, it's just the, the basic act of seeing someone else's face, seeing a smile, seeing, you yep. know, just the, these sort of basic things that we were um, that I was just very sensitive to these kinds of things. And I said, yeah, but you're no thinking guides. about it. You don't realize that you're, you're thinking deeply about this and, and, and that you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. And, and guess what? I, I kept saying, we're going to destroy eight to 15 year olds and we have. And so now we've got this horrible problem with, with alcoholism, drug addiction, depression, suicide. It's just, it's going. And it's, it's, I don't see where it's going to stop because we are, <laughs> we're, we've done woefully little with mental health care for the last 30 years anyway. Uh, and now when we've actually harmed people, actively harmed them, come on, what do you, what do you think? I, 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 there, there are many ways to approach that too. I mean, you know, part of the problem is there's a spiritual vacuum in this country as well. And so I'm perfectly happy with spiritual community coming in here and helping people sort of support them with this uh, problem as well. But I, I fear that we've hurt them too much where, the, where their brains are ailing and we have to really do something systematic to help people dig out of this. Well, you know, it, it's so fascinating that uh, fascinating that you said that because, you know, I've, you know, I jotted down this question, which I'll ask, I'll pose to you, I'll put a pin in it and just think, bear it in mind, but you know, can art be medicine and can art be healing? Uh, but mm. you know, I, but I, I get very, very frustrated because, um, you know, like I, earlier I spoke to, um, to, doc, to Dr. John Yanidis, um, mm. just, a, uh, so it was such a fascinating conversation. Like, oh, you yeah. know, when you're speaking to just, just someone who, who is fantastic, but he, but we yes. talked a lot about the importance of art and how in, in, in society and how it's been completely overlooked. And one of my frustrations in these culture wars, so to speak, is that you have all these influencers and whatever, um, you know, a, 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 by the way, digression, side note, it's so funny to, and I feel like you'll appreciate this. It's so funny to see in the content creator space, influencer space, they make yeah. fun of like Hollywood celebrities for being a bunch of of crazy people trying to be famous. I'm like, you guys are the same thing. You guys are the <laughs> same course, damn thing. Of course, of course but, they are. I, I have the published data on this, guys. I, I actually did the research. Do you drink coffee or tea? Of course you do. And that's why I want to tell you about my sponsor, Twin Engine Coffee. Twin Engine Coffee grows and roasts specialty-grade coffees right on the farms in Central America. If you don't drink coffee, try Katura Tea, my personal favorite, made from the dried fruit of the coffee plant. Pro tip, add some ginger, lemon, honey, and a dash of cayenne powder, and you'll have the perfect, sexy, soothing concoction. Support small business and this podcast and order from TwinEngineCoffee.com slash 
Clifton Duncan. Again, that is twinenginecoffee.com slash Clifton Duncan. I'm the That's only amazing. published data on, on celebrities in the world. Well, Nobody has access, and well, I did. Well, well, we'll definitely get to that later. But, you know, my, my thing is that these people, they talk about, um, like you mentioned, the spiritual void. And for me, yeah. that, you know, as an atheist, that has become very, very, very obvious to me. And my thing is, well, if, if society is becoming more secular, becoming more, quote unquote, rational, which is not obviously, but more more technologically advanced, mm -hmm. um, there seems to be this this. I mean, conservatives call it the God shaped hole. Mm. But, they, but what they tend to ignore is, um, you know, I'm, I'm, in my opinion, if you understand the abstract benefits of religion, then you can also understand the abstract benefits of art. And I feel like people are sort of missing what that is. So I say all that to come back around to the question in your capacity as a physician, you know, given the, the spiritual void, which I agree exists, um, and given the, the dearth, I mean, you know, you saw these institutions destroy themselves anyway, but do, do you think there's some capacity? I think the Greeks kind of felt this way, but, you know, can art be healing? Can art be medicinal in any way? Oh, for sure. Uh, and I would argue that, you know, you, you mentioned sort of, sort of ideologies around spirituality. And to me, I solve those sorts of things very simply in the sense that I experience spirituality in the interpersonal. That's where I experience it. Mm. When, when, I'm, when I'm deeply connected, helping another person or, or sort of attuning to another person, there's a real exchange going back and forth. That, that's where I experience something magical I call spiritual. It's this co-created thing that humans do. And if that's where we find, if, where you find spirituality, good, go find it. If you find it in a higher power concept, also good. Go find it. We need it. We, we need it as human beings. But we also need a sense of the transcendent. And that's what art provides. Right. And in the, and the transcendence has to be, and research actually bears this out, that it's essentially experiences of awe, right? And back to, you know, going to the Seattle Symphony, I, I experience awe when I listen to really primarily Beethoven, maybe Mahler, but I just, I, I, I uh, you know, Shost, uh, um, Shostakovich. No, no, I saw a uh, Rachmaninoff uh, uh, concerto and I was like, wow, you know, that, that's transcendence. But you can't just have the transcendence. You have to appreciate your smallness and all of it, that you're, you're just a, there, there's so much bigger than yourself. That's the important part of transcendence. And, and art will give you that awe, will give you the transcendence. It also give you thrill and a sense of connection. If you have trouble with connection, you're connecting to the audience, you're connecting to other people on stage. So yeah, uh, there's no doubt that it can be very helpful. Well, that, you know, and that's what's so frustrating to me because I feel like, you know, in contrast to politics and religion, I mean, art is one of the few unifying forces in a society. And it's just so unfortunate that so many of, of, of our artists are engaged in just divisive, divisive um, um, politicking. And, they, and again, I think it goes back to this idea that they, they just, they don't really seem to see, I think they they seem to be so concerned with, um, social engineering, uh, but mm -hmm. that they that they've forgotten what um, they've forgotten their actual power, and they 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 don't have the self worth to understand. Like, no, guys, like we can be, you know, at this time of great division, we can be, we we can help. I mean, it's going to sound corny, but you know, we can heal the world, make it a better place for you and for yeah. me and the entire human race. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, back when we were in the darker hours of uh, COVID and stuff, my my sort of thought bubble was you know one of my thought bubbles had many was where are the comedians why aren't they challenging this oh, and the same thing would be true of art i mean art is transgressive <laughs> when it's done well right and and what where where is that what that used to be the blue thing that used to be what i was a part of where is the transgressiveness well i think it goes back into what i was saying before which is this there's this bourgeoisie who's they've gone to college they've gone to the, the institutions they become very dutiful they become yeah. very good students. They follow directions. Uh, they take pride oh in following boy. directions. Yeah. And, um, and on top of that, you know, there's this, um, they've been, 
what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, uh, poisoned even by indoctrinated, this, yeah, right by this ideology. There's only one yeah. way to look at things. And I remember I sort of had my awakening, so to speak, maybe about ten years ago. And I didn't even know there was another way to think. I didn't yeah. even know there was another way to to, to see good. the world. That's and not good. Yeah. yeah, and but but that's but that's the but that is the, almost the entirety. And on top of that, there is just there is this um, again these neo McCarthyists who, if you even like tweets by a wrong thinker, um, mm. you, you put your career in jeopardy. So, I mean, yeah. there's an entire, and I'm sure you've heard of this, but I'm not, I can't even say their name, but there is a, this group of, uh, of more conservative leaning entertainment professionals, primarily actors. It's an invite only group. It's like fight club. You can't even talk about it. And no wow. one even mentions it because they're, they're deathly, deathly afraid of, um, of jeopardizing their careers. And that's the wow. sort of environment that they, that they operate in. You, you can't, you know, you, you can't think certain things, at least not out loud. And you can that sort is, of- That is non-American, right? That's the not, it's, American. it's And not. people always say, they're, they're, they're saying, oh, well, the government, the government's not involved. They're the ones that guaranteeing free speech. No, there's a, such thing as culture of free speech. And the culture of free speech is what eventually becomes memorialized in the law. And if you don't protect the culture of free speech, woe unto you, it's not going to go well. But, but what you said about art, though, I'm just thinking to myself, I, I have two things I realized I'd not thought of in a long time. One was when I was messing around in the arts when I was like 19, um, a friend of mine who became a doctor also was like, was like very critical. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, don't you want to help people? I said, I I think of all the people I help in the audience. Think of all the people who make how I make them feel. How that can you know, the very things you and I have been talking about. And he literally he was walking and he stopped. He stopped walking. He goes, "I've I've never thought of that." And that's that's an interesting. So it, it obviously impacted him. The other thing I realized I do is I will when I'm stressed or stressed isn't quite the right word when I need sort of inspiration. I guess. Um, I will listen to music and, and and I was for a while listening to the, I challenge you all to do this. Listen to the last five minutes of Pagliacci. That is some of the most sort of, I, I, that music, something about it, just same thing with the end of uh, Cavalleria Rusticana. It, it just, they just, I just so, so satisfying the way, the way they ended those, those operas. Anyway, that's my, that's my, uh, public service announcement well, no, well well it's funny but it, you know it doesn't even have to be like high art like that you know what i mean it's it's like i remember uh i got i got out of conservatory grad school and i went through a really really terrible breakup and there was mm. there's there's this movie called forgetting sarah marshall i don't know if you ever oh, saw yeah. it, remember it um featuring russell you can't brand mention by that, the way i would say you can't mention yeah. that movie because russell brand is in it right 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 <laughs> but like but that movie that was back when that uh, when netflix still sent out physical dvds so i mean oh, i wore yeah. that thing out because oh. it because the movie, for those who don't know, it's about this, like, I guess he's a, a TV composer who's dating, um, played by Jason Siegel, and he's dating uh, a woman, an actress named, but played by Christian, uh, Kristen Bell. Yeah. And, um, and she dumps him for this comedian, uh, uh, played by, you know, the, the person who shall not be named now. Um, and, and, but, you know, he goes through... He, he's depressed, and he decides to go out to this vacation to, I, I guess it's Hawaii. And, um, yeah. And of course, you know, comedic hijinks ensue because it turns out that the Kristen Bell character is also yeah, out there with right. with her new guy and everything. But, you know, but it, that 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 movie was so healing because a it allowed me to laugh at myself. I and mean, like there, there's this great scene where um, uh, the uh, where Jason Siegel's character gets this phone call from the uh, from the concierge at the hotel. And he's like, um, excuse me, sir, uh, we got complaints from the from the room next door or the suite next door that the, there's a woman crying in your room. And of course, it's, uh, it's just uh, I'm crying the whole time. Uh, and, uh, but but it's also this really life affirming film where, you know, he finds love in, in, uh, in Mila Kunis, her character. And but he also, you know, he begins focusing on like the, the creative projects that he wants to pursue. And like he has this uh, this musical about Dracula that uh, that he you know he begins working on and and um, and that's how he finds new love and he finds a new life and a new way forward and that just that message or that you know it was so cathartic to me yeah. and I really needed it at the time so it's like you don't yeah. have to you know appreciate you know the uh, high art or or listen no, to the right. climactic right. strains of Nessun Dorma or something it's like yeah. you, it's like it's you know, it's that's how it can be medicinal and healing. But it's it's interesting that that your colleague, you know, just didn't even it didn't even occur to them. Yeah, yeah. You're you're and you're 
you're absolutely right. It's a bit, but in the, even to take it down, even if another notch down the artistic scale, television can be occasionally, <laughs> it can at least be soothing. And I, and I'm remembering now, let me just tell you when I was depressed, I would, when college, I would use television to self-soothe. I would watch it when I'd really get distressed and just the, I don't know, mindlessness, whatever it was, I can't say it's hard, even. but it was, but it was, it helped me. It, it was useful. And so there's, there is, there's a lot in what we're talking about here that, that uh, you know, it needs to be dealt with respectfully to, to, I guess the way I would say it, both the creators and the consumers need to be a little more perhaps respectful of this for the reasons we're talking about. I think so. I, I just had this image of you just watching like episodes of Ninja Turtles or something. It was worse. <laughs> it was worse. Cereals. I swear to God, I swear to God, it was worse. It was the, what I remember watching was eight is enough. If you even know what that was, no seventies sitcom, just pathetic, just, just <laughs> pathetic. But uh, D Dick Van Patten, if you know who that is, was the father of this thing. sort of a Brady bunch. It was a Brady bunch thing. And, um, and <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, <laughs> I should have realized it was, I should have felt just pathetic and not relieved. So Anyway, but you yes, are. I think I did. But to your point about Ninja Turtle, I think I did watch some cartoons too, which has taken it down another notch. But it, you know, it sort of probably harkens back to something early in life too, or the cartoons had some sort of, you know, sort of, I don't know, some sort of connection associated with it. But back to my research and uh, your point about the crazies. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, because we had celebrity guests in on Loveland every night, we started, um, my research partner and I started doing uh, personality inventories on everyone that came in. And everybody that came in went, oh my God, I know I'm crazy. Literally, they all said, I'm, I'm delighted to be a part of this because I know I'm messed up. Every single person said that. Um, actually, there was one musician that refused. I 100% of else, else uh, answered. Uh, but it was musicians and reality star show stars and comedians and television actors and movie actors. And guess what? Um, they scored much higher on the narcissistic spectrum relative to the general population. And we were able to show that uh, using certain mathematical modeling and things that the, the pursuit of fame per se was a bid to solve narcissistic injuries. Okay. This is theoretical framework, but but it sort of fit what we were, what I believe to be true. Um, and that if you were um, a re the worst, the most narcissistic were the reality show stars, because when you think about it, why are they on TV? Because, hey, it's me. And the people with the least narcissistic uh, sort of impulse were performers, people with skills. So newscasters, cellists, singers like yourself, they actually had a a, a um, craft that part of the craft meant building an audience, which is different than I'm building an audience, much like you said with the influencers, because hey, it's me, <laughs> which is which is probably my bet would be we didn't actually have influencers at the time, but I'm going to bet the influencers would scale similar to the reality show stars or or worse. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because you know it it, it makes me. Gosh, I remember I went on this date with this uh, this woman who was talking about, you know, how much she wanted to be famous. And it, it was so sad to me because, you know, and I'm, I'm sure this will resonate with you, but like, it's like, dude, have you ever actually been around famous people? <laughs> like, they're fucking miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, audi audiences should be, you should be building them with a purpose. It's always seemed to me like my purpose was to change medical behavior and deliver information and stuff like that and be able to do things I wanted to do for people. If it's if you're doing it just because, I could not imagine a more empty experience. Can you imagine that? Just because it's me, it's like, ugh, ugh. that's why. Gross. That's why. I that's why I laugh when people accuse me. They're like, oh, you know, like there are people who literally say, you know, oh, well, your acting career didn't pan out, so now you've switched over into COVID ah! commentary. And I'm thinking to myself, like, do you think a that that's just that logically it doesn't even make sense? Like, why if I were seeking fame, why on earth would I've taken the, the tack that I've taken? But also, it's just you know I've never been motivated by that. You know, it was always like, oh, I, I like acting, I'm good at it, and uh, people really believe in me. They believe in me more than I believe in myself, even though it's a quote unquote yeah. racist industry. Industry, yeah. and um, you know, it's just a, you know, it, and I really dedicated myself just to uh, to getting better at it. But you know, then I would you know be upstaging sometimes these stars and i'm thinking to myself you know what man it's just 
it's just it's not really it's not really worth it. And so much of stardom is is a creation of the entertainment media complex anyway. You know, there's Yo. critics, there's critics darlings and PR campaigns and everything trying to push people onto the public. And every once in a while I think I think people who should be stars break through. I mean there's a Denzel Washington and Robert yeah. De Niro, these kinds of people. But yeah. you know more often than not, man, it's like if, if uh, and uh, Whoopi Goldberg actually said this, if you're trying to be famous, that's such a small, small goal and you're going to be uh, unhappy. Mm, it's true. Because it, it's a, it's again, and that's part of our research showed this too. It, it was a bid, it's a bid to feel better about something in your heart, in your soul. And they, this why they end up behaving so badly once they get there, because they're still not well. Well, they're still right. drinking. They're still using. They're still feeling the hole. Well, and it here's does, the thing: doesn't work. It doesn't because, work. Is the point? Totally. You know, it's and I remember. You know, when when things began to take off for me, and you know, I had people coming to me like, "Oh man, you know, you blowing up, man. You got this and that." I'm like, "Dude, I'm still the same person, though." Like, you know, it's to me like, yeah, you, you get this big job, and it's a really great job, and it's really cool. But I still am like, yeah, but I'm like the weird. I'm still the, the weird twelve year old who like, like, you know, comics and star Wars and pro wrestling and video games, yeah. you know, it, I'm not much, I'm not much different, but, but the, but the outside world views you in, in a different way. And I think mm -hmm. if you're someone who has these sort of deep, I mean, like, I know I have abandonment issues, for instance, and okay. those kinds of insecurities. Yeah. And, um, and when you're suddenly in this arena where you're, you're so exposed and you're so, um, um, I guess, you know, you're so ubiquitous, you know, and you, you have all these expectations on you. And then on top yeah. of that, there's the, there's the inherent and inbuilt instability of an acting career or an entertainment career where you know you're always being judged and people are telling you um uh, you know who you are and, and what to do and even what to wear and what to talk about and uh, you know there's critics here and professional critics and you know random people at stage doors and all yep. kinds of um you know fan hatred and all these kinds of things and yep you know, so there's so much instability. It's like, how on earth does anyone even stay sane in these industries? And then you, that, that's when you, that's when you begin to realize that, oh, okay, these people have all this fortune and fame, and um, it looks from the outside like, man, you, you really want that, but you have no idea that you know that they're still just. It's all, you know, they're putting lipstick on a pig, basically. Yeah, yeah no, that's exactly right. It's exactly right, and 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 w without it seeming as sort of pejorative as as it sounds, it's it's literally what's happening. You're 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 trying to fill a hole with a false prophet or something, um, but but you're you're putting your finger on something that I absolutely believe to be true, which is one of the things that happens when people achieve sh sh uh, uh, fame is, and I've seen this over and over again, is it there's there's two things. There is the feeling the feeling about themselves is still very bad. They still feel ashamed and less than. And and, and the narcissist core is is feeling small. Hmm. And the being big sort of makes them feel more of that because it stands out in relief against it. But really what it is, is there a fear that people is going to see them for the hey really for whom they really are? This shameful core that they're feeling is going to be exposed. So they go to great lengths to sort of make this bigger than life self. And one of the things I noticed also is people that are famous never use their real name. I, I When I put them in treatment, I'd have to go, what's your name? And I'd have to start calling them by their name and it would be kind of <gasps> touching. They would, they, would, it would, they, would, they would actually be changed by just calling them by their name. Uh, the other thing is um, the, people talk about how fame is so difficult. It's not, my experience has been mostly famous people are worried about losing fame. So they're worried about being seen as who they actually are, a shameful little thing. And like you said, it's unstable and they could lose it. And they're freaking out about that all the time. Well, that, that's, the, uh, that's the thing, you know, because you get all these perks, right? Everyone's telling you you're pretty, that you're special, that you're talented, yeah. you're yeah. the best thing in the world. Then, of course, you know, as soon as that all goes away, then people just forget about you and they move on with their <laughs> lives. So then you realize, well, wow, I was never really valuable to these people at all. It's just yeah. it's so, so, so toxic. Is there yeah. anybody that, that in, are there any celebrities you've met, any famous people that you've, famous people that you've met who you think really, they embrace it in the right way and they, and they're still, they yeah. manage to remain healthy? Yes. Well, most of them are in recovery from addiction, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, it, there was it's it's flip side. You know, they they now they're better, but they were not early on, and so that's really where I most often. Uh, I, I'm just there are some musicians that are okay with it. It really boils down to not taking it all seriously, right? 
it's it's not being affected by it and not not it's it's a it's a it's a tool it's a tool so they can have you know people that enjoy their music or that they can give a newscast to or whatever it is but if it if it's something that is, is sort of uh, too too important to them that's when they get into trouble and that's when they start drinking and using and they eventually let go of that and recovery uh well you know we we hope that they could recover at the um, <laughs> just kind of i'm amused you were laughing that so so many of them are, are well it's addicted. it's but we were we all research also showed that they have much higher incidence of drug addiction and alcoholism and stuff and and that's generally when they're narcissistic injuries that if you have the genetic setup that's what happens oh gosh i mean it's so and it's such a um it's such a a, a tragic trap to be in as well isn't it it's, it's so hard to break out of i don't know if we have enough compassion for it but then you see you know maybe a bit of a, a digression but see these certain cities where the bourgeoisie has mm -hmm. deemed it uh, has deemed enabling um a better treatment than uh, than treatment which well now you're getting on something that drives me out of my mind uh -oh. and and yeah and not just enabling but the, what's what's left out of the equation is not only do you enable these people but you're killing them because these are progressive illnesses that end in death and they leave out the progressive part and i say this all the time now look even if i'm administering the drug i'm giving the iv heroin all day long, all, whatever you need, I administer it sterilely and properly and medically supervised. The illness of addiction still progresses, and that person still will die. So this idea of, you know, let them live their best life, whatever, uh, that's murder, that's, or at least manslaughter. Well, it makes me think about the, um, the limits of compassion, you know what I mean, in terms of like sometimes well, it can be weaponized. Well, you said something earlier, uh, I forget in what context you were saying it, but it made me think about this grandiose caring that we're into now. I care so much. I care so much. That's narcissism flat out. Yeah. And by the way, rescuing people, people don't need rescue. People, people need your genuine compassion per your teacher's point of view and empathy. And that means holding a boundary and being present while they do the hard work not rescuing them. You rescue somebody, they're forever dependent on rescue. They always need rescue then. And you care, I care so much. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. Yes, I care too, a lot. And I care enough to, to sit here and hold a boundary and not enable people or rescue people when they don't, when the harder work is to do something different. Well, you know, I had a friend recently named Clayton Fox who put out an article uh, in Tablet Magazine called The Toxic Gentleness of the American Theater. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of the reasons that I think that the industry is failing now. Um, you know, in my, my remaining uh, minutes with you, I want to ask you a, a very broad question, which might be okay. unfair. Um, right. You know, because we mentioned before, it's not just the celebrity culture. There's also the sort of, um, you know, influencer culture, the young people uh, who are struggling. I mean, you know, the, the rates, the numbers about depression and anxiety and suicide yeah. and drug use are just so, so depressing. Um, what in, what in, is there any way out of this ditch, do you think? I mean, we mentioned spiritual component, but yeah. I mean, what, what, what else can what else can be done to help steer our society and our culture out of this um, this, I guess, this ditch? We need to, well, we, we need more mental health services for sure. We need, we need to take that very, very seriously and get people the help they need to get them out. Some of this is really serious stuff. But stepping back from that, uh, we need to return to what humans need for thriving. It's kind of what you and I have been talking about the whole time. Uh, and ultimately, it's the, it's the, <laughs> everything that all the caring that is not thriving that is not thriving humans need each other they need service they need be, being of service to another person means you have a skill you have a wisdom you you see something real in that person and you pay homage to it and you offer something to that person with your skill and wisdom if you don't have skill and wisdom you need to shut the fuck up for most of the time but if you have something to offer that or, or develop something so you can really be of service. It's not done on a large scale. It's one human to another. And it can be as simple as spending time, taking somebody out to lunch, that kind of thing, but you must be present and just be there. And anybody can do it. I'm being facetious by saying, shut the fuck up. I I'm just saying that this, this you know, on a large scale, we're gonna uh, care about everything and everybody. That doesn't help, that's not thriving. It's good. not bad. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about the world and people at large, but. That is not what at the basis of human thriving. What's the basis of human thriving is some sort of 
sense of transcendence, which we talked about, however you get there, some sort of sense of something greater than yourself. So you get out of your ego, out of your head. Uh, and then being honest about your shortcomings, uh, but sharing things with another human, being present with another person, not rescuing them, being present with them while they share with you and you listen with the, not with your ears, with your whole body, allow yourself to listen in a, in a regulated state where you're trying to take in everything that person is saying and understand it. And that's where sort of thriving starts uh, is, is there. And we just, we've gotten away from everything. It seems like, and the basics are just, I, 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 we just got to get back to that. And it, it, it requires courage and freedom and, requires all the things that sort of the, were the, again, the founding principles of this country that that's where humans flourish. They just do. And the, the less freedom, the less they flourish. Well, I think we're learning that now it's spoken like a person who uh, truly cares. Now I, I, I feel silly asking. I care so much. I care so, much. <laughs> so, I so, so much. He cares so much. Um, but but uh, I feel silly asking you this question, uh, given yeah. the disparities in our followings. But how can people uh, find and support you? What you got going? What you got going on right oh, now? Oh, get out of here. Um, the the um, a lot of different stuff. Um, I, your audience might just like the Dr. Drew podcast. It's where I'm spending more time with thought leaders. I've got some really interesting mental health professionals I'm talking to, and. Just it's kind of a anybody that interests me, I, I get get on the, <laughs> I get in there and talk to them. I think that's kind of what you do, right? It's just if they interest me, I'll bring them in and just thump on them and see what's going on here and what, what can I learn. And uh, that that's the kind of podcasting I like. So that would be the Dr. Drew podcast. You get everything at drdrew.com. Uh, I do a streaming show at drdrew.tv that my wife produces that she would kill me if I didn't mention. Uh, that's at three o'clock Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That most of it's sort of more medically oriented. We're trying to we're trying to dissect what happened during COVID and, and get all kinds of different opinions about what, what is going on here and what happened and how do we do it better next time? Well, I certainly wanted to pick your brain about how your, uh, your views and your, your, your faith in the medical establishment have changed, but perhaps that's one for it next time. Leave them wanting yeah, more. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. But you, you, you can sort of find that at doctor.tv. That's a lot of where that is. I, it's been astonishing that the word astonishment is on my lips constantly. It's like, what happened here and what is continuing to happen? I, I get that sense. Well, Dr. Drew Pinsky, I certainly appreciate your time. And thank you so much for joining me. It's been a lovely, lively conversation. And I think people will get a, a lot of value out of it. So again, thank you so much for, uh, for uh, sticking with me. I am sticking with you wherever you go, my friend. You let me know.